Welcome back to <laughs> Diary of a Therapist. It's, um, we're coming to you after the summer. Yeah. Um, we were like, we're going to record so many episodes over this summer. And then we ended up having such a summer. Like a we family. did. We did a real summer. We got to see each other in Disneyland. It we was did, super we fun. We went to Disneyland. And then we didn't see each other again for like <laughs> a month and a half. <laughs> So guys, you don't know what you're going to get today because we literally have been cooped up in our own worlds and this is one of our first times hanging out since then. So hopefully lots of raw and honest combo. Yeah, hopefully. Like hopefully we'll be brave. <laughs> well, for sure with this topic, one of the things that we've been talking about together is doing a series on narcissism. Oh. Dun, dun, dun. So here we are. Like we were, um, we just feel like there's so much content that flies around the internet and I hear so many people, um, this is a story. So I literally was driving Emmy. My daughter is seven. So we're driving and I was getting onto her because she didn't have something she needed for school. And all of a sudden she says to me in the backseat, she goes, mom, stop gaslighting me. (gasps) (laughs) And I literally was like, okay, she's going to tell me something about like passing gas or like some (laughs) seven year old joke. Right. So all of a sudden I said, oh, really? I said, what is gaslighting? And then she literally gives me the definition. She's like, actually, it's when you are responsible for something and you're putting the responsibility on someone else. Well done. I was like, I'm so proud as a mother. (laughs) But I'm laughing because my seven-year-old knows what gaslighting is. I love that. I did not know what gaslighting was at seven. I don't think I knew what gaslighting was at 27. So, (laughs) I mean, real life. But I think it's funny because there's so many buzzwords. About narcissism. There definitely are. Yeah. A lot of inaccurate ideas about what it actually is um, because there's so much in the media and social media, I think, that has influenced the way we think about narcissism. So I think talking about what it actually is (laughs) maybe would be a good place for us to start. I think it's a great place for us to start. (laughs) Like, let's actually put some truth out there. Whoa, Whoa, shocker. What an idea. What an novel, idea. novel concept. So um, in the counseling world, if you're not a counselor listening, I found that like our audience is quite diverse, but um, there is a manual. There is a book in which most therapists and people who are um, clinically sound would use, and it is called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. And what it does is it takes different um, disorders and different things in the psychological realm, and it breaks it down by criteria. So you look at the criteria and you say, okay, how many of these does the person need to meet in order to have this said diagnosis? So we're using that as our gauge because it really, um, there's a lot of arguments out there, but really it's the best thing to use at this point, Mm -hmm. just to point, to have a clinical true north compass, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I will say before we kind of dump, jump into the definition of, of what this is based on what the DSM says, is that I think there's a lot of confusion about how you do you actually diagnose personality disorders just as a whole. Oh, so narcissism it. is just one personality disorder, and you know there are clusters of personalities, uh, personality disorders, and so um, there's no real true accurate, um, reliable, and valid testing measure to definitively determine. If a person has a um, personality disorder, there are a few guides that we can use in testing, but a lot of times um, if you're dealing with like 
um, the court system or whatever, that's a question that comes up is like, how can we reliably and, and with great validity prove that a person has this disorder? And I wish there was a great testing measure for it, but I don't really feel like there no, is. No, I don't feel like there is either. And we actually have experts that we could point you to if you really were looking for something like that. Sure. Um, I'm blessed that um, we have a few good friends that do that yes. kind of testing things. And um, we will send you their info. And so if that's something you want, I keep forgetting to mention it, but we do have an email address. <laughs> we do. I mean, no one uses it really, but you feel free. If you want to send us an email, it's diary of a therapist at gmail.com. Yeah. We want to hear from you. We do. We really do. We're ready to engage we're with ready. you. We're <laughs> ready. We're going to get our social media really going too. It's funny because we've launched this and we've not really, um, We've really done it for fun, and it's yeah, been a really load did. of fun. I'm actually thrilled. But so many people have listened and made comments, and so we're so thankful for that. But So we do want your feedback. Just so you know, I'm just going to say a quick thing on clusters. Because sure. um, so cluster A, B, and C is what you're looking at. And some of you already know this, and you're probably checking out, but don't real quick. It, it's so interesting because in these clusters, I think B is the worst. You'd think C would be the worst. Like A is this, B mm-hmm. is C. But um, A is really more of your schizophrenic stuff, like paranoid, like mm-hmm. when you see people like hearing voices, things like that. B is where you're going to see your like personality disorders. They call them dramatic or erratic. Mm-hmm. Those are the hardest thing. Um, you've probably heard therapists say there are different types of clients that they don't want to work with. They sometimes fall in B yeah. because you're literally have such a hard time connecting that person to truth, yes. connecting that person to the reality of their circumstances. And as a therapist, especially one spiritually grounded, that's tough yes. sometimes. And then cluster C is more anxious or fearful mm-hmm. things. So sometimes when you, you look at fear, fear is a lot more tangible to say, I'm afraid of X or I don't like Y. It's a little different. So B seems to be the toughest. And a lot of people would say the schizophrenic pieces is hard, but... I find that those are um, sometimes more, um, I don't know what the word would be, approachable, or you could at least have some sort of rationale because... Yeah, you can anchor them. You can anchor them. That's a good way to say Yeah, it is you. very difficult to anchor cluster Bs because of the derealization. Yes. Like, I love how you just said that, that idea that, you know, what is real, you didn't, I'm not repeating it verbatim, but like how to get cluster Bs to realize that you know, what they feel um, in terms of like what they feel like is reality sometimes is not reality. And so sometimes it's hard to kind of move through those muddled places with that subset mm-hmm. of clients. Mm-hmm. It's difficult, you yeah. know? Yeah. So let's go over the definition just a bit. Yeah. Um, and then I want you to say some more about what you were saying earlier about how the statistics are kind of whack. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) They're whack. Um, Okay. So it's a pervasive pattern of grandiosity, need for admiration, lack of empathy. So um, I'm big, bad, and I know it. Mm -hmm. And I don't really know where you fall into that equation as the other person in my life, Mm -hmm. friendship, relationship, parental Mm-hmm. connection up or down right like mm-hmm. to your kids or to the parents um and i think that's a really really hard thing and you know the interesting thing about narcissistic personality disorder is it begins in adulthood so i'll hear um people talk about their teens being narcissistic and i'm oh, like no. oh no they're just being they're just a teenager <laughs> but that's normal they're supposed to be they're egocentric supposed to be 
egocentric. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. I literally have no idea because, um, yeah, it's just funny. Like I said, I have a seven-year-old and then I have a 20-year-old. But my 20-year-old, I don't ever remember her being super egocentric. She's always been such a kind, like outward kid like you give out to others i know i'm very thankful she uh, maybe had a few moments but not compared to some of the kids i see that i'm not getting a bmw for my 16th birthday <laughs> it's funny um <laughs> anyways i digress um so grandiose sense of self-importance like mm. everything i do is so important mm-hmm. and matters so much mm-hmm. yeah um Fantasies of unlimited success, power, beauty. Like, this is what I'll have. This is what I deserve. I think that would be a word. That's not in the DSM, Mm -hmm. but I'd put that in there. Go ahead. You're going to say something. I feel it. I was really just breathing. I'm here. Oh, you were breathing. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Believes that they, he or she is special. Mm -hmm. Quote, unquote. They require excessive admiration. This is what I find gets... Um, I find this one gets a little tricky because I literally played, okay, I'm, I'm really all over the place, but I literally played in my first pickleball tournament. I lost so bad. Okay. Can we just talk about this? Pickleball is my passion. That's my therapy. But I literally told the lady at the end, I said, um, I was joking, but I was like, oh, I want a participation trophy. And I mean, that's a whole other conversation that we could have a whole other time, but it's like, that's kind of what's happened with our culture, right? Is that we admire people even when they're not doing things that are admirable. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's where narcissism gets a little convoluted. But um, when you're really dealing with a true narcissist, their demand for you to admire what they're doing and be about it, about it is really strong. And I think even in the church, we, we could say, you know, giving positive affirmation to people is what we want to do. We want to uplift. We want to encourage. We want to. But I think what's happened in some of that is that we've stopped calling wrong, wrong, and right, right, and truth, truth, and a mm-hmm. lie, a lie, right? Like we've, mm-hmm. we've blown sunshine so far that it's made people now not know what to do with anything that's not positive. Mm-hmm. And so I was laughing as I was asking for that metal because i'm like i did nothing (laughs) to deserve any of that but that's what's happening in our culture Mm -hmm. we're giving admiration and affirmation to situations that don't even warrant it i really love that you pointed that out i think that that connects into um the aversion that we have to any kind of suffering and what that is producing in our culture we don't want to suffer we don't want it to feel hard we don't want it to feel hurtful and so when you think about that, you know, from you know, the, the perspective of the narcissist and how this idea of continuing to pad or um, protect yeah. the ego of that individual and what that long-term produces, you were mentioning that, you know, we don't make that diagnosis um, until we are further into um, adulthood. And so, you know, for, for clients that are coming in that are, you know, nine years old that are, you know, just maybe just being um, needy, Uh, we're not using this terminology with them. But when we're dealing with, you know, a 29-year-old that's having a difficult time being able to recognize even how they exist outside of, um, you know, their their partners or their relationships with their parents or whatever, a lot of times there's just this high drive of like, I I kind of don't deserve 
to suffer. Like no suffering should come to me. And the DSM isn't written like this. It doesn't talk about that, that I remember. Maybe it'll come up somewhere, but I don't recall that anything about that being in there. Um, but that's one of the things that I see is that they're kind of um, suffering adverse. And so mm. you're kind of constantly trying to kind of pad the world around their their feelings, uh, their their egos, like, you know, you're protecting that all the time. And it's exhausting for the victim of a narcissist. And, you know, we'll have a whole episode talking about victims of narcissism. But I think that what you're talking about in terms of like, I didn't do anything to deserve getting this award. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it's funny, but also it just kind of made me think about how, um, how perhaps even some of what's happening in our culture is creating a ripple effect mm. into a higher degree of narcissistic tendencies. Come on. So maybe you don't have narcissistic personality disorder, but, your ten- but perhaps, oh. right, those tendencies have been nurtured. And so we're seeing more patterns of emotional immaturity in relational dynamics as a result of that. I literally, I could give you 800 amens for that because I think that's uh, so true. I think it's so true. And I think what we're seeing as people in our culture now, and probably what you're seeing as therapists or just as humans living in the world, is we are seeing the narcissistic tendencies. A of lot people. of that. Mm-hmm. We're not seeing full narcissists or people, you know, diagnosed that way. But yes, I think another thing is as the sense of entitlement, which goes in with that, you know, and, and you know what I can't help but think I have to say it out loud. And maybe we'll talk about this when we talk about, um, being like a, a victim or I don't like the word victim. What did you say? You said something better just a minute ago. No, I actually did say victim. Did you say victim? Yeah, okay. because they are. I don't know. They Probably are. there is a better word. Oh, that's hard to find one. I, um, but I think about codependency. I'm so passionate about teaching people about codependency. Mm-hmm. And I think about how codependency is bred. And I think it's bred through that, right? Like, let me pad the space so you don't have to feel what you need to feel. You need to feel this. Yes. You need to feel the pain or the rub or the tension yes. between yes. these things. And we're keeping you from that. Mm-hmm. And anyways, I digress. Um, lacks empathy. We kind of said that already. But mm-hmm. really, I always say, put on, I tell Emmy, put on their shoes for a second and she was like what do you mean share their shoes no i mean put on their shoes what does it feel like to stand in their place and a true narcissist has really little to no capability to even think how would you feel if i do this Mm -hmm. how would you feel if i say this how would you feel if i acted this way how would this impact you zero Mm -hmm. zero of that none of that Mm -hmm. they're often envious or believes that others are envious of them So, oh, they must just really admire my, or you look at their situation and envy and wish it was part of yours. Um, Another piece is arrogant behaviors or attitudes. Like Mm -hmm. you'll see them be super cocky, super Mm -hmm. prideful. Um, I almost, you know, for all of you um, that are listening today, like Cass and I, we do um, our podcast really just very raw and unfiltered. And so even as we're processing through this, I'm thinking, you know, there might be a benefit to us just doing a little quick episode on each one of these mm-hmm. um, features here, because I feel like we could talk a lot about, you know, what does it look like to have a lack of empathy and an mm-hmm. un- unwillingness mm-hmm. to recognize or identify with the feelings and the needs of others? Like, what is that actually going to look like and translate to in relationship? Wow. I think we could do that on each of them. We might end up doing that. Um, we're, we're kind of uh, planning as we go today and just jumping in because narcissistic personality is, is these are deep waters and there's so much we could say about it. 
and trying to give you kind of bites of information to not overwhelm you um, as the viewer, but also um, equip you to have a better understanding of what this is because of the journey that we're taking you on. You know, um, we are being strategic in terms of like kind of our macro plan um, and it'll all start making more and more sense, I think, as we keep moving forward. Um, but really wanting to educate you about some key factors, about some things, you know, we covered boundaries, boundaries of, you know, uh, counselors and pastors, imposter syndrome, uh, ghosting. We have a lot of different things that we've we've showed you in terms of the facets that we're dealing with. And today we're kind of trying to bring it together and align our focus into delving more into this particular personality disorder. Um, but that might be something that we end up doing either now or in a different um, kind of series. But I think there's a lot that you could say about each one of those yeah. things. Yeah. And I think it's what makes it difficult to really um, know if you're truly in a relationship with a narcissist. A client of mine referred me over to a podcast called Waking Up to Narcissism. Tony Overbay is a LMFT that does that particular podcast. Fabulous. And, you know, Tony, if you happen to hear the show, we really want you to come on our show. You are amazing. We love what you're doing in the field of narcissistic personality disorder. Um, but one of the terms that he uses that I really, really like and have now adapted in my own practice is he will say um, the narcissistic um, personality or the emotionally immature. Ooh. And I really, really love that terminology because when we're talking about narcissistic tendencies or there being symptoms of narcissistic personality disorder, what we see a lot is the emotionally immature, um, you know, per- like personalities being present. And so I like that derivative to say, if you are in relationship with someone who is a narcissist or has narcissistic tendencies, full-blown narcissism may look like this, you know, X, Y, and Z exaggerated, but the emotionally immature may have features of narcissistic yeah. personality disorder, yeah. but not, might not necessarily have the clinical um, so good. diagnosis of yeah, that. Yeah, 100%. Right? I agree with that 100%. What I was saying to you before we pushed record here is that I feel like a lot of people come to me and they'll say you know, Sue or Joe or narcissistic. And I think what I see people doing is they take things that they don't like and they almost create like a bias, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like, of course they're narcissistic because they do this. And it's like, we want the person to fit that bill. Mm -hmm. So that gives us permission to do what we want to do with the relationship, which Mm -hmm. means do we want to cut it off? Do we want to get away from that person? Do we want them to go get help or go to counseling? So it's like we find these terminology things that fit our scenario or situation, kind of like decision bias, right? Like I'm going to only take in information that will support the decision I want to make rather than Mm -hmm. staying neutral. And I think So many times I'll see people who are, they're just a narcissist. Well, it's like, okay, yes, there's some tendencies there. Like you said, or some emotional immaturity. Was that the word? Yes. It's like there's some of that there, but that doesn't mean that they're full on this. And and I think people have to take into consideration, anytime you're dealing with someone like this, I feel like you have to take into consideration, what's your ideal outcome? Mm. We have to go there. Because it's like, what is the thing that you want to see happen most with the person you're talking about, reflecting on, thinking about? Because otherwise, what are we doing? We're just sitting here spinning our wheels and talking about something and not affecting change. And I think that's the problem with narcissism. And I want you to say a little bit more maybe about what you were saying earlier in the number of how the numbers are really not accurate. They're whack, I said. Right. I think you saw, I'm trying to find the article that you actually have pulled up. Will you send oh. me what you are looking at, what you're um, looking at? Because I want to sure. see the same thing you're seeing. 
Um, I don't know that you said this already, but they are saying that the occurrence rate, the DSM is saying that the occurrence rate of this disorder impacts less than 200,000. Is that per year? Is that accurate? Yeah, I, pr- I think that would be per year. Probably per like year. really not. <laughs> and so pr- pre-recording, Castle and I were talking about this just a little, just to kind of get our wheels turning on the topic. And one of the things that I mentioned is that I think, you know, when we think about, right, 200,000 per year, well, what does that look like? How many people is that actually affecting? For me, I heard that number and I thought, man, you know, I don't know if that's, you know, how they got that information, first of all, like, where did that come from? But also, like, thinking about for me as a practicing clinician, I was letting her know, like, I probably have about 125 open cases right now. Um, Of those open cases that I have right now, I would say less than 5% of those cases um, have have brought a narcissist into my office. Now, mm. here's the thing about personality disorder, cluster B personality disorders particularly. Um, it's kind of widely known in our field that those particular individuals are pretty adverse to seeking mm-hmm. counsel. Uh-huh. And because of that, you see some things that I think are um, indicative of the disorder. For instance, um, you know, this isn't written in the ZSM. This is going to be my wording, but um, I, they have a propensity toward hyper spiritualization sometimes. Oh, that's a whole episode. And I, that totally is a whole. That's episode. a whole episode. But as a result of this hyper spirituality, a lot of times their deferral to um, you know their belief system in terms of religion, um, they will you know use that as their shield to not seek help. So even if there's something relationally going on, right? I want to run a lap, wave a <laughs> hanky, do something right now, please. Well, but even if there's something going on in the relationship where their partner's really suffering and they're like, man, we need help. We need to go in and see a counselor or we need to talk to a, you know, a, a, one of our pastors or, or whatever it might be. There's a lot of resistance that, that is met with cluster B personality disorders because they um, believe that they already know. Right. And so if you go back to that, the sense of entitlement, the sense of, uh, you know, a need for excessive um, ex, um, uh, admiration, a, a lack of empathy and that grandiose sense of self, that grandiose sense of self coupled with those other things that I was just discussing. Sorry if I'm talking too fast. When I get excited, I talk fast. <laughs> um, all of that kind of factors in and it creates some limitations and their ability to really seek support. And so, you know, if I have a client that is partnered or paired with a narcissist, um, sometimes kind of, I say they kind of run through my office because they may come for a couple of sessions. They kind of collect the data that they want to be able to use really against me, go back into their relationship, and then they use what they kind of learned in therapy as the evidence that I'm incompetent, mm-hmm. that I'm going to be biased, that I am going to be, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not kind, uh, mm-hmm. wh- whatever, mm-hmm. you know, they might come up with um, in their belief system. Um, that inhibits uh, or prevents their ability to really seek counsel. So you think that 200,000, I'd say 5% of, I would, I, I'm guessing about 5% of my clientele that have come through my office have been true narcissists or had cluster B personality disorders. Well, whereas I would say probably a good 30% of my clientele that are coming in for relationship conflict that their partners will not come with them are at least married to a person with emotional immaturity and propensity towards um, a disorder like narcissistic personality disorder. So by far, I am supporting more victims of or survivors of narcissistic personality disorder than I am um, being able to support people that have um, 
NPD. And so I don't know if that's true no, for I you as well. No, I think that's 100%, 100%. But that's just kind of... they're over here like, help. Yeah. Help. What do I-, I do? Because literally, I think it's getting through to the narcissist, which is why people say, I don't want cluster B when they're a ther- on a therapist side. You're like, I don't want anyone with cluster B because it's getting through to them. And hence where the gaslighting terms come in, because then it becomes they're the one that needs to own their behavior and they're flipping it on the other person. Yeah. Codependency, gaslighting, like a lot of that stuff stems because that's how the person ends up with us. Because yeah. they're over here sitting there. Am I crazy? Like, right. am I really the problem? Like, wait a minute. Here's what's happening. And also one of my favorite things to do, though, is to look at someone in the face and be like, you're not crazy. Yeah. This isn't okay. Yeah, that's so powerful. And the number of people who did that for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've encountered a lot of narcissists in my life and like just in even close relationships too. And it's like mm-hmm. to have people say that to you and you're literally like, really? Yeah. Like I'm a therapist, I'm a PhD, but I'm like, really? Right. <laughs> Show of hands for everyone in the room that's encountered a narcissist, not known that you had encountered a narcissist and later had to look back kind of and reflect on that and be like, oh, wow, I was actually in a relationship with a person like that. Both of us have our hands up. Yes, we both do. Because <laughs> I think that that's one of the most befuddling things in this field, right? I'm oh. like, but I do this for a living. And why did I get duped like that? Yes. Oh, 100%. So if you're out there and you've experienced that, please know you are not crazy. You're not crazy. It's really hard to see because it, you're, you're a nurturing and empathic nature a lot of times prevents you from seeing these traits and in individuals. Yeah. And that's how narcissism actually works in inner working dynamics and in, in, in family dynamics. And we'll talk more about that hopefully later too. Yeah. I think this might be a good spot to pause or yeah. stop or for us to just say, whoa, because we get too excited. And I love your idea of talking sort of down some of these roads of the, of the definition plus like what that feels like to be on the receiving side. So um, stay tuned. We feel like this series will probably be a little different from the structure of our others. We've already got a whole slew of questions that we've received that people want to know some answers to on the clinical and personal side. And so we've got questions that we'll we'll kind of put in. And then we also have um, just really want to like unpack this for you because I think unpacking it with people who are clinically sound just like tony that you mentioned it's like that's really crucial because everyone's going to have an opinion everyone's Mm going to be an armchair therapist which is totally okay i get it we get it but i still am paying my student loans so i'd love to say that that education is still (laughs) something that we could be utilizing and tapping into okay (laughs) so on that note we will see you next time